Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Thank you. Thank you very much for your patience. Irish Times Second Captain's Podcasters. We are bringing you this show a day later than usual. I'm sure you had enough on your plate yesterday enjoying the St. Patrick's Day festivities. Ken, you seemed all revved up earlier in the week. Did you go out and soak it all up? I did. Go on. I went down and watched the parade. Yeah, from what vantage point? O'Connell Bridge. Oh, surprisingly cold. <laughs> it was a little nippier than it looked on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it was, uh, to be honest, I couldn't really see much. I was disappointed. Oh, I'm not going to lie. What, did you, you didn't I hadn't bring seen, a ladder, no? No. I hadn't, I hadn't there were a lot of ladders much. around where I was, around top of, I was just at Christchurch, essentially, as it winds in, on, on down towards St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yeah. A lot of ladders. Um, where does the, do all the people who are in the parade congregate before it starts? Oh, it's just one of life's great mysteries, Ken. Parnell th- Square, is Parnell it? Square. I don't know what. what I mean, do you that's mean? where it starts. So there's like a whole parade's worth of people just backed up in some. Yeah. Where? But well, I mean, on the streets <laughs> surrounding Parnell Square. Mm. I mean, I live not too far from St Patrick's Cathedral mm. at the finish line, so to speak. Sure. Uh, and you could see in all directions. I mean, I went down there like after the parade, maybe like two or three hours after the parade finished, uh, walking the dog, and. They were like they were wrapping up the floats and parades and all the rest on the various streets in that area. So I can only presume that they don't that they don't fall into line somewhere like you know outside Drogheda and yeah. then parade the like way that way. Them. No, I would say that they congregate in all of the streets surrounding both the start and finish line, and then so yeah. that they truly are only parading for the duration of the parade, which yeah. is how it should be. What did you do? Did you no, yeah, no. As I said, yeah, I hopped out of the house. I made a bit of a mistake. I mean, I live. Right beside, I live in Christchurch, mm. so I'm on the parade route essentially. I should have really watched more of the parade on television. I saw the first few minutes and then popped out and said, "Oh yeah, it should be it should be coming up here anytime now." Mm. Little realizing that it's it not the Tour de France. It takes a takes long a time to <laughs> snake up, so I'm waiting there for an hour. Uh, for at one stage, actually, there was a, an ironic cheer for a street cleaner, a guy from the council who came along with some sort of street cleaning contraption yeah. along the route. Yeah, uh, he got an ironic cheer as people were waiting good naturedly for the actual parade. <laughs> and of course, he handed up in true true Dublin wit style. Uh, <laughs> all of the earth, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I was very impressed by? Yeah. The return. Maybe they've never gone away, but I hadn't seen one in a while. The in, Hammered by the Irish inflatable hammers. I oh, first I saw, saw them. Though. Yeah, I first saw them back in the World Cup uh, when mm. 2002 World Cup was on. Yeah, so first time I ever saw these hammers being sold, and uh, I, I saw one of them knocking around on yesterday, and thought, "Hang on, has this person saved this hammer for like they, they use it every year for the last 14 years?" Well, yeah. see, no, there were some street cleaners, uh, street cleaners. <laughs> street there were some vendors. street vendors selling them. Yeah, there was a screaming child uh, just behind me. You know, um, the, and the mother was there trying to comfort. You know, this inconsolable child. <laughs> And uh, her other child was there, had one of those hammers, and was just repeatedly hammering her, <laughs> hammering, hammering the mother with the hammer, As while the mother tried to uh, tried to uh, comfort the other. That's not that right. just went on for a really long time. Uh, so as I was uh, returning from my walk, uh, I did hear someone trying to sell those hammers for a euro, and I was thinking, is now the time? You know, buy low, sell high. 
if I buy the hammers now, I can keep them in cold storage, then make a <laughs> like a stone cold profit on them. Early doors yep. next year on St. Paddy's Day. I, in the end, I decided against it and got a coffee instead. But I mean, you know, maybe maybe that's why I'm not, you know, the uh, the titan of business that I perhaps could have been. One point that I I noted, maybe as a bearded man myself, uh, this is you, you just notice these sort of things, but. There are a lot of options, almost too many options for the bearded gentleman if they want to paint themselves up mm. on St. Patrick's Day. So you had some people went green beard, green hair, and just left the face. Others, green beard, this doesn't make much sense to me, green beard, orange face paint, and then left the hair. That mm. would work if you were, had white hair, I would say. Yeah, yeah. That, mm. But not when you just have black but hair. But even then, it's just the three colours of the tricolour in the incorrect order. Some, uh, some gen- I saw one gentleman went uh, green beard, green eyebrows, green hair. Mm. That was good. And what age gentleman was... He, that gentleman was, looked in his mid-50s, I would say. That's mm. interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting option for that man at that particular stage of his life. Will we talk about sport? Well, there, was, there, was some, there was some sport on as well. David Breen, uh, Murph, is one man who did enjoy his... I don't think he was at the parade. I'd say he was too busy preparing to beat the no. crap out of his Antrim opponents in yeah, the All-Ireland Yeah, I have Cup to final. say, it, there is literally nothing about that day from a Nipirshig in Limerick point of view that went wrong <laughs> it was like I have to say of all of the games that you that I've watched from after 30, they got a goal after 34 seconds David Breen's brother Adrian got the goal and uh, from then on they looked completely untroubled by anything that happened in the game and they all seemed to be having just the best time <laughs> it was you know just one of the most enjoyable occasions that I can remember a team having yep uh, yeah and the football final was a bit of a blowout win as well yeah, another dark day for Mayo. We'll talk about that with Oshie McConville. Your impression of Liverpool's stroll around Old Trafford last night? Just went out for a gentle evening stroll there. Um, well, it was. They were maybe a little. Um, looked like they could be in trouble nah, in the first sorry. half. Um, but yeah, ultimately, once they'd scored, the game was <laughs> was really over. You know, um, I was struck by Ryan Giggs. Uh, Ryan Giggs's intervention. You go on. Well, Manchester United were. Needing, they needed three goals, mm-hmm. and there was about four minutes left to play. Why is Ryan Giggs down on the touchline directing operations? It's a bit late. What is he doing? You know, I was. I was did you see that? Mm. I thought, what is he? What, what he, did, he, he did that earlier in the season as well. I can't remember the game. It was the one, wasn't it? The one Norwich was that the one they were losing at home anyway, and and. Uh, I just thought to but myself... But hold on, hang on. We've been criticising Giggs for being inactive last week and for just sitting there and allowing all these defeats to roll on top of each other. And now we're criticising him for getting his bum out of his seat and directing operations? Well, I mean, this would suggest that going down onto the side of the pitch is doing anything. That's not actually doing anything. It's just a cosmetic exercise to try and distance himself from his manager. Well, it seems... It's, it looks cosmetic, but it, it also... I thought it was badly judged in that in that circumstance. I mean, there's no the game is over. Mm. There's no way you're going to score three goals in four minutes. You know, it's not it's not going to happen. So why are you? What, what's the need to do this at this point? I was I was surprised by it. I mean, I suppose you know once again it doesn't seem as though there's a great chemistry, <laughs> you know, in in the management setup there. Eddie O'Sullivan is going to talk to us in today's podcast uh, about Ireland Scotland, but mostly this Joe Marler story. <laughs> Joe Marler tried his best to pick up lengthy bands during the game against Wales, abusing, uh, verbally abusing one of his opponents, calling him Gypsy Boy, and forearm smashing another one. Uh, alas, none of, neither offence was deemed worthy of any sanction after the game. Eddie, Eddie Jones ended up sanctioning him by dropping him. I mean, yeah. I, think he, he, I think he thought, maybe someone has to take action against Joe Marler, so I'll do it. <laughs> so a bit of an embarrassment the Six Nations has been this year. Uh, pretty disgraceful, actually. We'll talk about that, mostly that, I'd say, with Eddie. But we've got an All-Ireland champion on the line. David Breen, congratulations. Yeah, thanks very much, Ontars. How are you? Uh, well, how, how are you feeling? How was, how was last night? Ah, uh, it's brilliant, yeah. The, the scenes down the club were, were unbelievable, you know. So, uh, look, we were delighted. A lot of tired lads, and uh, we were just relieved more than anything else. Yeah, we're we're used to sort of the the county teams having their banquets and all the rest on on so you know it's 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 very much ingrained. It's an this is how it happens. Sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas with you guys, was it just kind of hop on a bus and just get down there as, as as quickly as possible? Was that how it went down? Or yeah, pretty much. You, you know, your your typical kind of club match where you have a bit of food after the match, and uh, we got a we got a bus back to the to the train station, and we got the train back down. So we have the train was fairly eventful on the on the way. <laughs> <Pick it up laughs> well, Limerick, I guess. So. 
I'm sure the match is being dissected in tactical detail at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, there's very little chat about it, you know, other than, like, we're just, you know, delighted. Like, a lot of lads are first time ever playing in Crow Park and the experience of it and everything. And, uh, I look at, like, the weather and, and the conditions and the pitch and everything is, you know, it's brilliant for a hurler. Like, it looked, I mean, it's, I think people might be surprised if they don't follow the club scene too closely that no Limerick club has ever won it before. I mean, plenty of teams have been in the final. Was that a part of your, a part of the build-up as well, or is it part of the satisfaction now that you're the first uh, club from your county to to win it? Yeah, it, it's it's satisfying now. Uh, you know, after after the event is taken place, but to be honest, on it, it was never part of the build-up. And uh, you know, in our in the Pearshig, like leading into this match, it was never really about Limerick. It was about the Pearshig. You know, all the history books and the record books get opened along the way as you get a little bit further and further, you know, towards the top. Um, but really, it was just about a group of players trying to achieve what they had the ability to do, you know. And, and there's a lot of really, really good teams out there that, that never go the full way or they fall at some hurdle along the way. And we just wanted to make sure that, look, we're a good group of hurdlers and, and we think we can win this and, and just trying to make sure we did everything that we could to win us. And, and so we have that medal coming out of Crow Park. This being the club championship, there's there's almost an unwritten rule that have to be brothers involved on, on teams, <laughs> and certainly so in your case. With the th- three, including Adrian, man of the match? Yeah, yeah, it was a fairly proud day for my, for my mother and father. So, yeah, and I was delighted for Adrian because he was dropped for the semi final and looked to see the way he handled that and, and come back and then make man of the match in the, in the final as right or over stuff, you know. Yeah, and it's, kind of, it's actually kind of mental to see a guy where literally everything he does in a game in Crow Park, I mean, it happens, you know, maybe on club final day quite a bit uh, in ways that. Uh, a guy who maybe doesn't have like a massive inter-county pedigree or anything like that, everything he does just works for him. And that was that was yesterday for, for Adrian. Yeah, yeah, I was delighted for him. Like, every ball he hit, like, I just knew, you, you know, you know from playing with your brother that when he's on form, he's on form. And like every ball he hit, I was just, he was jogging back out into position. I just trying to get in his ear and just saying, look, you're flying it, you're flying it. Like, and he was, he was just so confident yesterday, he didn't really need to say anything. Yeah, uh, your work colleagues uh, have been pretty pumped about this over the last uh, week or so. Uh, uh, I should say that you're a, you're a physio with the Leinster rugby team. Tyg Furlong was tweeting his support yesterday. I can't believe you found a jersey that fits him. Uh, <laughs> and he's he's your housemate as well, is he? Isaac Boss, Owen Redden, Aaron Dundon, Darren, Dara Fanning, all photographed in recent weeks uh, with uh, the Pershing jerseys on. Yeah, yeah. I know, look, the sport has been brilliant. Like, Tyg, yeah, I'm living with Tyg um, in Dublin and... Uh, yeah, like, it was, he wasn't he wasn't that supporting like when the semi final was coming up against Oler oh, yes. you know, he had to nail his colours to match there, but uh, <laughs> uh look it's yeah, he's he's a good lad and he's got a bit of GA pedigree from Horsewood, uh down in, in Wexford as well, behind him too. So um I uh, look uh, like a lot of the boys were they're all behind us. Daniel Davy was playing for Bally Bowden yesterday. Um He's the Leinster nutritionist, so he's uh, look. It was, it was huge support from the boys. Yeah, it was great. David, you're. I'm, I'm right in saying that you've decided not to play for Limerick this year uh, to to maybe focus on your professional life, which probably lends this lends a club campaign even a bit more importance to you. You could really throw yourself into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, like it was kind of a decision I made back along the way um, in the career, kind of. Had to really take take hold, and you know I, t- I had to put that first really, and, and travelling up and down from Dublin um, with with a job that that takes a lot of your time is is very difficult. And yeah, it was, it was very nice to to um, to, see, to finish off the club campaign that way yesterday. Yeah, you're enjoying your time at Leinster so far. Yeah, yeah, it's great learning loads. Um, yeah, not a great bunch bunch of lads to work with, and uh, like the staff there and everyone are, are, are brilliant. Like and working as a sportsman, working in professional sport, you, you know, you couldn't ask for more. Yeah, and uh, I am interested though the the do as I say, not do as I do uh, element to all this. I, I saw that you were uh, in the run to the Munster Club Final. You were uh, at work with a cast on. Uh, telling players, professional athletes, how to manage their recovery and not to, you know, rush back through injury and all the rest. And then they see you come on with 15 minutes to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Cast mysteriously disappeared uh, to play a part at your Munster final. I have to say I laughed when I read that. 
Actually, not a way girls in the GA anymore. We don't have these luxuries. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that is kind of it as well. It's like, well, you know, this is your job. Now, this is this is by all accounts a hobby, so I'm allowed to do whatever the hell I like. Listen, David. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Enjoy the celebrations. We're delighted for you and well done again and to, the, and to your, the rest of the club and the rest of your family. Well done. Cheers, boys. Thanks very much. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. No, I think Cork have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. Ooh. Okay, all right, my friend, see where you're going here. David's team did indeed have some celeb support from Leinster players, which may have helped them over the mm. line, but that was nothing compared to their opponents, Rory Oaks of Cushendall. Do you recognise this guy? Bring the trophy home, boys. Up there, Rory's. I wonder who this is going to go to next. Do you know that is, Ken? No. Liam Neeson. It's one of the most recognisable Irish... The trophy home boys. That's Liam Neeson. You know it's Liam Neeson, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they went went big there. That's impressive. And, uh, yeah, they... I mean, they even had Liam Neeson looking pretty ripped. He's 63 years old. He struck the... The man's in... Never mind the hurling. I just want to talk about the tremendous physical condition that the man is in. He struck pretty well, I thought. He did, in fairness. He played for... uh, uh, played for a rival club. Uh, well, he's not a Cushendall man himself, but he did play. He's a Ballymena man. Um, Got engaged in Cushendall though, apparently. Did he? Uh, the actor and his late wife Natasha Richardson came to Cushendall when they, when they were engaged. Wow, that's so not. Didn't actually get engaged. Yeah, no. But they, and his sister lives there. So. Uh, yes, so, so I mean, stop trying to drive a wedge between Liam no, Neeson no, and Cushendall. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, I mean, I, I'm just doing what Liam Neeson would do if you know if he listened to his publicist, which is to try and distance himself. From those losers. <laughs> another, gri- <laughs> another grim day for Mayo football at Croke Park. Bally Bowden blew Castlebar Mitchells away, which may have come as a surprise to Cross McGlenn manager Oshin McConville. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did it make me feel watching it? And I think it was, I was more sick watching it than, than uh, you know, if, if they had only get beat by a point of they had a win. So uh, you have to say that Bally Bowden started the game. They looked very, very comfortable in their surroundings. I think that was the first thing. Um, and as soon as Colin Bosquell, um, you know, had that stylish finish, and the, uh, there wasn't even a minute gone in the game. And uh, as I say, Bally Bowden were on top in every single area. The one thing, you know, Castlebar had plenty of the ball for the first half, but, you know, they were very, very shot shy. And, you know, I'm sure it hurts badly enough without us picking the bones out of it today. But one thing you'll have to suggest is that, like, it's almost ingrained, you know, that that Mayo teams have now gone to Crow Park and have continuously underperformed or, or in fact, not performed at all as, as Castlebar did yesterday. Because when we played them in, in the semi final, you know, I thought they were relentless. That was the one thing about them. They were relentless in the pursuit, um, you know, of getting over the line, and, and that's essentially what what got them got them past us. And yesterday, they they looked like a team that didn't really know what they were about. They didn't really know, you know, what was the best thing to do. They moved the ball through the hands a lot. They give the ball away a hell of a lot. And you would have to say, definitely, the first twenty to twenty five minutes looked like complete complete stage fright. Yeah, and uh, interesting what you said about Ballyboden looking comfortable in their surroundings from the first minute. I mean, we were talking to Barry Moore in, in the aftermath of the, their win over uh, you lads in the yeah. semi-final, and there, he, he was saying that they had, to have, they had to learn something from losing in 2014 to Vincent's, that they'd carried what they had learned and that that would put them in a much better position. But instead of carrying sort of what they may have learned from that defeat, it seemed like it completely paralysed them with nerves, particularly for the first... Tw- I mean, they didn't score, I think, from play until the 27th minute. Yeah, and uh, sometimes, you you know, good memories, uh, you can draw on them. I mean, they the also, you know, in defeat, you can learn a lot in defeat, but certainly one thing you don't want to be doing is really dwelling on it. And it look, they look like a team maybe who, who dwelled on that a little bit too much and forgot about performance. And I'll be honest with you, we I've played in nine uh, all Ireland club finals, including replays, and the you know we've had an occasion where we went to Crow Park and we completely underperformed. And like there is nothing worse because 
I, I can guarantee you after Castle Bar Boys today, you know, with the preparation, they probably felt as if they were as well prepared as they could be. They probably, as I say, uh, looked at what happened a couple of years ago and said to themselves, you know, that's not going to happen again. You know, they didn't lose a player, you know, early on like they did the last day. And maybe when people were making excuses for Castle Bar a couple of years ago for losing Richie Feeney early on, you know, maybe they, they dwelled on that a little bit. And when you look at it, like St. Vincent's were really comfortable winners that day as well, you know. And yesterday, like, it was a complete, complete capitulation yesterday. Let's face it, Castle Bar are a better team than they showed up yesterday. But, uh, like, like to be fair to Ballyboden, I mean, they looked as if uh, they were very, very well organised. Um, they got... Uh, certain players on the ball in certain areas of the field that look comfortable. I mean, they have a couple of guys at the back who are basically just stoppers. And uh, at club football, you need a couple of them. And uh, you know, he played well at full back. Uh, the the, the Castlebar forward line got very little change. I think they ended up changing four of the forward line. They got very little change out of the uh, Ballyboden defence, who got players back at the right time, but were able to break really, really well. They looked like a really well-conditioned team. So, as I say, you know, Ballyboden deserve all the plaudits, but Castlebar will will be kicking themselves because, you know, the worst thing you can do is go to Crow Park and all there and finally and not, you know, show up at all. Yeah, some of those big players you mentioned from Ballyboden are hurlers, really. I mean, yeah. uh, certainly at inter-county level, Heine is, and uh, Keeney's gone back yeah. to hurling now, obviously had a, had a fair bit of success as a footballer. Who else came? Lambert came Simon on. Lambert came Simon Lambert came on. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of guys there who don't have experience um, necessarily of playing for the, the Dublin senior footballers, but have played at Croke Park a million times. Do you think that that might have made a bit of a difference? Or, or were you surprised how comfortable these guys who we would know as hurlers look to be out there in an All-Ireland Club football final? Can I say something honestly yeah. what I've seen of Ballyboden this year? They haven't looked like a team that are weighed down by a certain amount of pressure or weighed down by the expectation of winning. Uh, they seem to be able to go out and express themselves. Uh, look at the world. They were lucky a couple of times getting across the lane, but um, you'll have to say that you know when I counted most, they were able to go out there. They, they were able to throw the shackles off and, and, and perform. And, like... When you watch the All Ireland final uh, this year, and it, you know you watch Kerry, and you know there was so much talk tactically before the game about how Kerry would set up and all those things, but they, they failed to turn up and they failed to perform, and that's sort of what happened Castle Bar yesterday. And you know when you have a team like Ballyboden who who aren't letting you, you know, stay in the game for long periods. I mean, like if Ballyboden had to take those early chances. You imagine Castle Bar could have had an opportunity to build themselves into the game. Instead of that, every time they went forward, it looked as if you know they felt they had to get a goal. Ballyboden wasn't letting them in, and they were able to break up the field. And if you notice the difference between the scores that that uh, Castle Bar got and the scores that Ballyboden got, there was very little pressure on the scores that that Ballyboden were getting. And, and at the other end of the field, like uh, you know, Castle Bar were on a huge pressure, and they had to kick you know exceptional points to keep them sort of anywhere in the game. But the game was over after 20 minutes, and and uh, and I think you know Bally Bowden, you know all they had to do was you know shore up defensively, and you know get a kick a couple of scores on the break, and that's exactly what they did. And and tactically, you would have to say, well, you always say tactically when a team wins that they've got it right, but it just looked as if they had all the all the aces covered yesterday. Yeah, and and you would have to say as well that they're they're an exceptionally managed team. That uh, over the course of the Dublin uh, club championship, they would have come up against teams with far greater firepower than them, yeah. but managed to to keep scores the scores conceded to an absolute minimum. And and oftentimes when you're watching uh, these games in St Patrick's Day, they are they are eventually decided by a really star quality forward. Yeah. A guy, you know, a guy who just is just a lot better than the guy who he happens to be marking. That didn't happen yesterday at all. The Ballyboden are uh, a team without stars. I mean, you know, Michael Darren McCauley is... is I, I was going to mention Michael Darren yeah, McCauley there, for, former Footballer of the Year, Murph. Yeah, but he's he's not actually... You know, he, when you look at that team, the team isn't built around Michael Darren McCauley. It's built very much around uh, defensive solidity and a really well-coached team. I mean, uh, it's it, I don't think it's disrespectful to say of Ballyboden that... If they if if uh, this team breaks up and I don't see them winning another Dublin county title, I wouldn't be massively surprised. You know that they they have done really really well to get to where they are today, 
and it's a testament to in the individual players and also the brilliance of the coaching team. No, absolutely. Um, you know, Andy McIntyre has done an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, you know, I've met Andy a couple of times, and I don't know if there's anybody who, who puts as much into or thinks as much about football. Uh, he looked at his mead man to the core, but uh, you know, he was. Uh, you know, you could see that he was so happy in the fact that. And uh, sometimes you get one opportunity to, to, you know, to get across the lane in these situations. And, you know, they, I suppose they did stutter and stammer a little bit, even through the Dublin Championship. And, you know, there were a couple of games where that went right, right down to the wire. I mean, you know, I think they beat Clontarf 6-5 or something in a in a championship match. So, uh, you know, they, they, they really, really, you know, they seen an opportunity and and they went and and they really went for the for the juggler from early on yesterday and then it was a case of you know what we have we hold and and they were a really well managed well structured team and you know I don't know who Andy McIntyre has in with them there but you know they look like like a, a, you know a well organised bunch who knew exactly what they were about but you're right Muff like it's going to be really really difficult for them to even come out of Dublin next year. So when you have that opportunity, you know, it may only come along once and, and certainly they grabbed it with both hands. You said the, uh, you were actually more sick watching it yesterday, yeah. Ocean, because it wasn't close. Could you explain that? Uh, I just think that a lot of the texts I got yesterday were around uh, how did you let Castle Bar Beaches sort of thing. And and you start thinking about that and, and you know, when I looked at them yesterday, you know, I think you know there was a they had a lot of frailties that maybe we didn't pick up, and maybe we built them up to be a better team than they were. You know, I know that they didn't perform yesterday. I know that they're better than that, but it just it's sickening that you just didn't make it there because, as I say, we've played in nine nine um, nine All Ireland club finals, and we've only really failed to perform once. You know, in all those times, so at least. You know, you feel as if you would have been up there and at least give Barry Bowden a good game, you know. Yeah, fair enough. O'Sheen, great to talk. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, Owen. Shane, 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 Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time I've seen a tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one be the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl's sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question, did anybody deserve to lose at the Lara Club final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire, a sub goalie, two castle barmen, and a bridges man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of all. Yeah, I know Shane said that we don't want to necessarily rub salt into the wounds here, Murph, but it's too obvious to ignore Mayo's historical and even recent losing trend in yeah. Club Park I mean well this is the third club final they've lost in a month because they lost the junior a Mayo club lost the junior final and the intermediate final and now the senior club football final so that's it's pretty it, that's not good no. uh, and you know the junior and intermediate are played on the same evening as well so it's yeah it's it's not great I mean it, the the thing that struck me uh, and Ushin obviously saw it up close in the semi-final I saw them play Curve in the Connacht Club final as well. And they just played with so much conviction on both those days. And then to show up and play with so little conviction yesterday, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a hard one to put your finger on, you know. But we're not saying that Castlebar Mitchells lost yesterday and failed to perform because the Mayo County team... Simon is nodding his head saying that's exactly what we're saying, that the, there's this deep, inherent weakness in the Mayo psyche that transfers to all teams who represent them at Croke Park. No. That's, um, that's what Simon's... Uh, Simon's just nodded his head, but I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, but... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a thing that you can say after they've lost. I mean, there, there are a couple of... Mo- like, say the goalkeeper got very... Their goalkeeper, Owen O'Reilly, got very close to saving the, the penalty, the, the second Ballyboden uh, goal, the penalty. Maybe if he saves that, they play themselves into the game. I, I don't know, but when the... I think after 25 minutes, maybe you can say that a long history of Mayo defeats in All-Ireland in finals. Maybe that's when it 
starts creeping into players' heads. I mean, I'm not so sure about the build-up, but when something start, when stuff starts going wrong, maybe that's when stuff like history or tradition or your own personal club's history of losing finals, or whatever, maybe that's when it comes into into play. You're being too specific, Murph. I want a sweeping generalisation. Stop, stop trying to intellectualise this debate. Okay, sorry, There's an I, inherent I, I, weakness in the psyche of Mayo the, football that yeah, prevents them winning The curse of the priest. And the, the, the priest, the yeah, curse. Yeah, now we're, now we're talking. The curse, that's the one. The, uh, Ken, there's a football podcast out today too. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you surely man? Well, uh, we will talk about all the European football that was happening during the week. I want to look out to some of the big heads on the weekend. <laughs> wow. That's a sweeping real, generalization. Real uh, change of pace. All right, okay. Buckle up, listeners. <laughs> All right, um, the very outline of what's happened, excuse me, with this Joe Marler case regarding Samson Lee is that he calls Welsh player Samson Lee gypsy boy during the match. This is caught on ref mic. Warren Gatlin comes out afterwards and when when it's brought up the the next day and says, oh, it's no big deal. It's just banter, just banter. Uh, It's all all fine. Before pretty quickly having to backtrack and explain that, well, I was just trying to protect my player there. I talked to him. He's a private person. He doesn't want to be dragged into this. So that's what I meant. I wasn't trying to trivialise what was said. Six Nations come out and say, I might as well give you a bit of their statement here. Six Nations Rugby are aware of the seriousness of Mr. Marder's comment and do not in any way condone what was said before going on to basically condone what was said. Six Nations Rugby have considered the reports in detail and noted the fact that Mr. Marley deep, Mr. Marder should say deeply regretted what he had said and immediately and unprompted apologised to Mr. Lee at halftime. They also noted that the head coach of England, Eddie Jones, has reprimanded Mr. Marler and reminded him of his responsibilities as an international rugby player. Six Nations Rugby have accepted the explanation provided the comment was made in the heat of the moment. Having taken all the facts into account, no further disciplinary action will be taken. Six Nations Rugby consider that this matter is now closed. So that's the background to this. Eddie O'Sullivan, do you accept the Six Nations reasoning that essentially Marler apologised for saying something in the heat of the moment and therefore he serves no ban? Uh, well, they don't seem to apply the same logic to foul play. You know, I mean, sometimes foul play is in the heat of the moment as well. And um, you certainly don't get a pass on that for for heat of the moment defence, you know. But I, I think it's a broader problem anyway. Um, on, you know, the, the, I think the, the, the whole disciplinary uh, area is fraught with inconsistencies, you know. And the, the IRB... Uh, oversee the whole thing, but each tournament has its own disciplinary process, and it seems to me that they're really struggling to find a consistency around uh, the, the the level at which somebody gets suspension, whether you're suspended or not at the end of it. Because when you when you are cited and you go before a disciplinary committee, the first decision they make is is the action you took um, reach. The, the standard of a red card. Like, should it have been a red card at that time? And it's not a reflection on the referee that he didn't give you a red card because, you know, in the, in, in the game with everything happening so quickly, not having the camera angles, they can often miss something that comes up later. But like, that's the first benchmark you have to reach. And then once you reach the benchmark, they have to decide like, how, how they hand down a sentence to you. Or you can defend yourself if you want to. And say, well, I don't think it's a red card. I'm going to argue the case. But... It's the setting of the, it's the, the reaching the benchmark has a variable, variables to it, which seems to me. I mean, everyone was pretty upset about the tackle on David Carney during the, the French match by Gerardo. Uh, it didn't get a yellow card at the time. I kind of got it why why uh, Jacko Piper didn't give the yellow card, but I didn't agree with him. And then in retrospect, you probably look at that and said it should have been some sort of a, of a, a sighting and a suspension. And they missed that one, you know. So it's there's been that inconsistency throughout, and um, I think that's a massive problem going forward in the game is getting that level of consistency. You're never going to be perfect, you're never going to be right all the time. But there's too many times they've missed the target in terms of citing somebody, and then when somebody is citing, what's handed down doesn't seem to equate with what you see in other cases. And it is a major problem. It is, yeah. And in a case like this, it just seemed so cut and dried in that the player the player was caught on the ref mic. He admitted to what he had done. 
Uh, it was believed that verbal abuse of a player based on religion, race, colour, national or ethnic origin, sexual orientation or otherwise carries an entry point sanction of four weeks. Uh, and I don't, it just, it, it, I'm flabbergasted that, that that minimum sanction isn't applied when, when the guy actually admits to verbally abusing somebody in this way. Yeah, watch him on the phone there. And if this was, wasn't a case of, of abuse, verbal abuse, um, it would say it was a tackle, a high tackle, and the entry point was four weeks. You probably would have found he would have got cited, he would have got a suspension, but it would have been reduced because he fessed up to it and, you know, admitted that he was wrong, and he would have got a reduced sentence, and it could have been as low as one or two weeks. That's what you'd normally see in these scenarios. But again, I think the the um, the problem is well known for for something like this, uh, where a player is obviously. Uh, been hauled in front of, of a disciplinary committee. He's admitted, he's apologised, and he's got a particular, he got a pass. And this one is that it sets a precedent. Hmm. And the problem with precedence is that the next time you have a similar uh, case in front of the a disciplinary committee, that case that went before will be cited as a defence. You know, yeah, yeah. and they, they've set a precedent on that now, which is. Where does that roll out down the track? Who knows? Well, yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. Well, you can call anyone anything. I mean, you, te- technically, you could argue that you, you can abuse them on whatever basis you want, and your your smart lawyer type uh, will then defend you on the basis, as you're saying, that somebody else got off. Why do you think, Eddie? It is the case that you, you said that if this was um, uh, some, something related to violent play or whatever it might be, there would still at least be a, a couple of weeks if the players uh, player admitted. Why do you think it's it's different? Have you got any theory what's going on behind the scenes there as to why there's just no. there's, you got away scot free. I actually don't, to be honest with you. I'm as surprised as anybody else. You know that that it's kind of is it's it's out of kilter. Uh, even though, as I say, the whole disciplinary thing is a bit unpredictable, and it's only when you're in there yourself with a player you realise that you know it's 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 a complicated process, and it can go either way for you. You can be lucky and you can be unlucky. You know, there's there's an element to that, and as I remember. You know, way, way back um, in 2005, Paul O'Connell got cited for a, a shamazel, really, and that's all it was, off the side of a mall in, in, in Cardiff. And um, the referee came back, it was himself, and I, I forget the Welsh second row, and the two boys had got up, shook hands, and were walking away. The ref came back and said, lads, enough of that. They says, no, we've all sorted out, it's only a mess, and they walked on. And then Paul got cited, it seemed pretty innocuous, and he got hit for three or four weeks, almost missed the Heineken... Uh, I think it was the Heineken, might have been the Heineken quarterfinal for Munster. Yeah. Uh, but he missed it by a day. You know, he got it. He got he got to play, but he could have missed it. It was a day longer. And, you know, that I, to me, that was a great eye-opener. That it wasn't a really bad incident. Two players themselves got up and shook hands and said, like, let's move on. You know, there wasn't anything. There was really a shamazel on the ground. And that's what it struck me is that, you know, it is, it is. There's a lottery element too when you go in there because it depends on on the city commissioner, it depends on the the, the the committee itself, and I think that's where a lot of the inconsistencies are coming from. You know, and 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 uh, it's frustrating and it's worrying for players. You know, it's the, worrying because you go in and you yeah. don't know where that that's going to land. You know, the added layer to this one is that the there've been such mixed messages coming out of the Welsh camp. The Welsh Rugby Union now are expressing their surprise and that they're they're intimating that. They're not going to leave it at this. And in fact, World Rugby are looking for an explanation as well of what's going on. But the initial reaction of Warren Gatlin was well publicised. He said, look, it's just banter. Uh, that's what the, he said, that he said that because Samson Lee wanted it pretty much left where it was. So there was this circling of the wagons almost at the start by, by the Welsh camp, certainly by Gatland. Do you think that did a bit of harm in this process? It shouldn't influence. What, what's said outside the, 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 the domain of, the, of the, the actual process itself shouldn't matter. And I think there is mixed messages coming out of Wales. Like, I think Warren did what any coach would try to do going into a big game. He tried to get the thing off the table and get it out of the way. And he misspoke in doing that because he was seen to be minimising the thing. But having said that, there was that element that Wales had, you know, Warren didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And now they've kind of backtracked on that and they are making a deal out of it. By, you is, know, that, is that unacceptable by Gatland to try to brush it under the carpet like that and not make a deal out of it? Do you not have to take a stand there for, for uh, the good of the game? I don't, I don't think, to be fair to him, I don't think he was trying to minimise the actual thing itself. I don't think he was trying to minimise what was said. Just banter, though. That's what he said. It's just banter yeah, on the yeah, rugby field. Yeah, he was, what he said did, try, did minimise, but I don't think that was in his head. I don't think he thought by saying that that he was going to be accused of of um, 
of being soft on, on, on that sort of abuse. I don't think he was trying to do it. I think he was trying to just move the thing on and get ready for the next game. And in doing so, he, he, he spoke awkwardly. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't haul him over the coals over that. I think he misspoke. And, he, and in fairness, he came over and he apologised profusely for it. Look, like I, when, you're in, when you're in that coaching position, and you're, you're in, in, especially in Six Nations, and there's so much press going on, and we know it's worse than ever like in terms of the amount of exposure and access you get, I mean, fellas occasionally are going to say the wrong thing or misspeak without the, without intention. And I think, I give him a pass on it. I don't think he meant anything bad by his Although he's so, ex- he's, he's so experienced in the media at this stage. We all know yeah. about Warren Gatlin's media performances. Surely he should be, if, if he wants to make a point, if, if, if he doesn't want to minimise something, then you, can't, you, you just use the correct terminology and, yeah, yeah. and, well, and he explain yourself. He made a mistake, yeah, and he apologised for it. But I don't think we should be extrapolating from that that he's somehow... Um, he's somehow soft on on, on 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 verbal abuse like that. I don't think we should be saying, "Oh, he's okay with it." He, he's not okay with it. He knows that, but he he made a, a bit of a horlicks of that situation and apologised for it. So we, you can hang him up and play him for a few days if you want to. But you know, the guy has has tried to do the best he can to to to, to uh, explain it. Well, I'm not for beating him up on it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I can see how he, he could, you could slip up in the circumstances. What about Eddie Jones? And, uh, Eddie Jones now says uh, he's politicising it. I guess might be the way to phrase it, and saying that uh, the Welsh Rugby Union are pursuing it now and expressing their surprise, etc. Because everybody wants to see England fail at the, at the at the last hurdle of the Grand Slam. Do you think that there is anything to his accusations there? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think he's been he's been a few hand grenades again. Because look. If you stand back from everything Eddie has said and done in this championship, he's played the media brilliantly because what he's done is he has had all the talk about England. It's not about England, it's about Eddie. And you, you, I think the media walked into it by by taking the bait every time. I mean, what he did after the, the Johnson Sexton thing, he said he put it, imposed a ban on himself. And we wrote about, we wrote about him banning himself for, for a week. Yeah. And then he comes out, he throws another few hand grenades. The one thing that hasn't been discussed in this championship is England, you know? I mean, they, they, they are now on the, on, on the, you know, on the cusp of a Grand Slam, and I think they'll win it. But, you know, they were uh, a bad touch uh, assistant referees called maybe away from losing the game to Wales, I mean, at the end. I mean, had they lost that game to, to Wales the other day, had that ball stayed in play that George North was called out of bounds on, and they went down, Wales went on to score, and... You know, the way they'd, they'd scored the first two tries, it wasn't beyond the bounds possibility. Eddie Jones would be sifting through the wreckage of post-World Cup material again, going to Paris now. You know, you think about it, it would be England got to, England having imploded for a second time in Twickenham with Wales, you know. So, like, Eddie's played the, the, the whole press thing brilliantly. It's all about what Eddie says and what Eddie thinks. There's nothing about the team. And that's taking huge pressure off England because they haven't been perfect. You know, they've, they've got through things despite their, their, their shortcomings. But they've done some. They've done a lot of things well. So I think Eddie likes to do that. He plays the media. He he manages the whole thing. It's all about him, and he doesn't mind taking the heat if he if he says the wrong thing and he gets a kick in. He you know he rolls with the punches and gets up and moves on. But he, to himself, he's on the right smile. That no one has yet dissected England and seen where their weaknesses lie or what they haven't done well or what they have done well, and that's fine by him. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Ireland's gotten yes, Eddie. So when you've historically lorded over a team like this, is it can it be difficult to fully convince yourself that they're a threat? We we do know Scotland they're good this year, but you know before the 2015 game, we'd heard that Scotland might be close to Ireland. And we absolutely destroyed them when we needed to. Is there a danger that this that's that might be in the back of our heads that okay, this is a good Scotland team, but we should beat Scotland? Well, we should beat Scotland, and look, their, their record in the Six Nations is pretty abysmal. I mean, they're only one step better than Italy. And they've come to Dublin before with decent teams and we've sent them packing. And, you know, I, I don't... I, I think we have to be careful. You can't take that for granted with Scotland. And I do admit that that they have seemed to have turned the corner with, with, with Vern Cotter. But having said that, they've beaten probably the two... the worst team in the championship and the most inconsistent team in the championship in France, you know. Uh and they are playing a bit better in their skins. They do have a better balance to their game. And I suppose the one thing that worries me is all problems on the outside channels of the pitch are not being resolved. They weren't resolved in England. And again, they weren't resolved against Italy, who opened us up twice out wide, you know. Um, Scotland are playing a game that go into those channels and they're looking for those channels. So the probably nightmare scenario for us is if, if we defend badly again, 
they get into those channels and they pick up a couple of scores and then they're in the game and they start believing in themselves, you know. That that makes it a long day at the office. But you'd like to think on the balance of probabilities, we've enough talent and we've enough fuel in the tank to see them off. It, it, it probably, in my view, could be a tight enough game, but I, I still think we, we'll get there by 10 or 12 points in the end. Where does he? Where does Tommy O'Donnell fit into what you talk about there, trying to plug the gaps in terms of the position that he's playing? I mean, he's the only change instead of van der Fleer. What's he going to bring to it? I, I think it's a very straightforward um, uh, change-up. He's bringing in Tommy O'Donnell because he's bigger and he's got more physical presence than van der Fleer. And Scotland have a fairly big back row. Um, as back rows go, they've, they've, they're all over 100 kilos. And um, Tommy O'Donnell has that extra ballast to the back row. And if you look at it, the, the, the resting Van der Flair thing doesn't wash at all because, firstly, I'm sure Van der Flair isn't sitting at home today thanking Joe for resting him. I mean, I'm sure he was called up on Saturday, he'd burst out of the traps and he'd keep going for the 80 minutes. Um, so the rest thing doesn't wash I think it's a simple thing that Tommy O'Donnell is coming in to add extra physicality and ballast to the back row to take on the, the, a big Scottish back row and the proof of the pudding is if Van der Flair was just a little bit off uh, you know, in terms of rest why not put him on the bench mm. but he's Ruddock on the bench for the exact same reason Ruddock is even a bigger player than Tommy O'Donnell Tommy O'Donnell is 107 kilos Ruddock's 111 kilos Van der Flair is under 100 kilos so it's about physicality and against Scotland I think it's a reasonable selection on that basis because Scotland are a big bunch although we're bigger than them over the, over the team they, are a, they have a big back row and I think that's what that's all about it's not about resting on the floor Alright Eddie listen enjoy the game thanks Emil Thanks very much Eddie nice and confident about Ireland's chances there I don't think everybody shares our confidence at the moment but uh, what about his feelings on the, the disciplinary issues Simon and specifically on Warren Gatland uh, saying that he'd give him a pass on this one, wouldn't be hauling him over the coals for initially uh, trivialising the issue. Well, Eddie's probably been in that situation where he's to defend a player, but coming from the media side of things, as you, I think you rightly pointed out, Gatlin's so... He, he actually controls the media message usually. He knows exactly what he's saying. And it was so difficult for him to couch it in such terms that, look, I obviously think this was inappropriate... Welsh rugby, myself, Samson Lee were against these types of comments or slurs on the pitch and then go on to say mm. that Samson Lee is a shy person and doesn't particularly want to discuss and wants yeah, to get on with the game. It's funny, it's not, it's as opposed to saying this yeah. and then suddenly has to make an apology straight away. It's not as though, because it's not like he's defending his, his own, it's not like his player did anything wrong here. And that's almost when you're listening, you're thinking, well, it's a strange one that normally the coach of the player who is has been wronged is not is not usually the person who ends up finding themselves in hot water over it but he seems to be getting more abuse than Eddie Jones who doesn't seem to have done a huge amount bar a slap on the wrists and dropping his player to the bench Yeah, it's amazing out of this one incident not one person looks good about it from uh, obviously Marler himself uh, Gatland Eddie Jones in the way he's trying to manipulate it into rugby terms and how it might affect their chances against France in the Grand Slam game uh, from the way the Six Nation disciplinary authorities have dealt with it even where rugby have said oh we, want, we need to look at this further why don't they come down with their actual opinion on what they believe on this as opposed to sort of another watery statement there's been so much of it this like I honestly think rugby now there's this attitude in rugby that this condescension towards football for all the diving and waving of imaginary yellow cards and all of that uh, based on this Six Nations I would say basic discipline is probably a lot better police in football than it is in rugby. Okay, a referee goes into a Premier League game knowing he will be called a wanker by a player at some point. <laughs> that is almost certainly going to happen and it won't happen in rugby. I'd be pretty sure. But at least the players in football can go in knowing that if they're racially abused or have a forearm smash in their face, there will probably be some sort of punishment for the transgression. And by the way, rugby players are starting to catch up. I think they're just way behind uh, football in terms of that behaviour on the pitch. You see the likes of Brian Habana now looking, waving yellow cards at the referee. Um, so that bleating at the referee, Jamie Heaslip and players like this, the referee just gets annoyed with them, even when they're not captain. Parise last week. Parise, yeah, just yeah. because, just, that's another one, just because you are a captain, it's They're not cursing seen, at the referee, like they're not as aggressive, yeah. but they're pestering them the whole game these days. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one, you know, and this idea that uh, we do not condone it under any. I d- I don't know what you what you think that phrase means. Yeah, if you don't you know, condone if, it, if you, you punish it. Yeah, if you don't punish it, then you're condoning it. Yeah. So you can't not you can't not condone it and then also not punish it. Uh, and it ha- it's been terrible all all uh, tournament though. I mean, it's been it's been a terrible tournament from the Six Nations point of view. 
rugby wise but also more to the point in in this discussion we're having dis- uh, disciplinary wise yeah Eddie was talking about it there explained very well how unpredictable it can be and when you're involved in it you see how overly convoluted and how complex it is but in this in this Six Nations largely okay, one, or, one or two sightings that, that have been upheld but largely it hasn't been inconsistent it's just been non-existent exactly they just haven't they've just been weak and I don't understand why they're being so weak it's not It's not, It's not. not a difficult thing that's it thing. I can understand their motivation to, 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 to give and even give like in a case like this if you want to sweep it under the carpet I would have thought the smart thing to do is a one week ban or something yeah, you know it can be a one week ban and, or and, whatever and then it's like, hard to, then you're sitting here and it's hard to really have a go because you're well they did punish him uh, whereas it's just, just, it's just stupid not yeah. punishing these players. And it's, it's strange. I mean, the GA have had problems in the past trying to uh, punish people for language, you know, uh, abuse, racism. Yeah, because it can be hard to be- decipher whether it was said or not, really. It's basically one man's word against against another's, you know, and, and uh, the GA have been hamstrung a lot of times by, by players coming and saying, well, I'd rather not get into it. Mm. The, the, the person who's been abused saying, you know, I'd rather not... Uh, rather not get involved in a disciplinary process. That's very frustrating. This was caught on the referees. <laughs> right, yeah. so, like, you have Everyone a, says it happened. Yeah, yeah. like the, the Six Nations and World Rugby have a guy walking around the middle of the pitch with a microphone attached to him to hear all of this mm. and they still don't act. So, I mean, and, and, you know, even Joe Marler, you know, good disciplinary record in that very game. Yeah, he, he was done for striking or he was yeah. cited for striking yeah. and again didn't get a ban. Okay, we're very high up on our high horse here. I think we need to Bring it down, dismount yeah. mm. and no better man to help us do that than the great Nesbitt. Today, I love this, by the way. I yeah, love the way okay. we're just going to keep going with this. Today's James Nesbitt fact. Nesbitt began a degree in French at the University of Ulster. Mark didn't give this one, did he? No? Uh, I hope I'm not repeating Nesbitt facts, but I don't think he did. He began a degree in French at the University of Ulster, formerly Ulster Polytechnic. (laughs) That's probably pointless. (laughs) In Jordanstown, right, UUJ. He stayed at university for a year before dropping out. In a 1999 interview, Nesbitt said, I had the necessary in my head, but I just couldn't be bothered. Being 18 is the worst age to expect people to learn things. There are other things to be bothered with, like girls and football. (sighs) End quote. Is James Nesbitt doing a lot for Northern Ireland with that sort of attitude, though? He could be right. Maybe people should have everyone should have a gap year after they're leaving, sort of GCSEs or whatever, whatever they're studying, find themselves, then go to college. I don't know. I, 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 I for one, would not take this particular leaf from the book of Nesbitt. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you've made the decision to go to college. Then you know you got to commit to that. What do you decision. think? Ben? No, I, I uh, just I'm go for it straight from that. straight from school into college. Get it all done. Yeah, don't waste your time taking gap years. Um, just go do what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, find yourself, year. find yourself along the way. Well, the the idea of a gap year is, oh, you know, have a good time and then that's it. Then yeah. why not have a good time you're while just, being at college and while working? You're I mean, just that's... learning how to dissipate yourself. You're just learning, you know, dissolution and... Uh, Nesbitt's just way off on this. For yeah. once, Nesbitt is way off. Football podcast... Damn you, James Nesbitt, damn you. <laughs> football podcast out today. That's Friday. Enjoy that one if you get a chance. And enjoy your weekend. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, oh. son. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. As Thank always. you, sir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.